0: Both by the EU to offer Greece debt relief and Athens itself to implement economic reforms. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: That's going to create more turbulence. The economic
0: statistics: yeah, triple-debt recession, collapsing commodities. Monetary policy has to do the
2: heavy lifting work. <laughs> oh my.
3: Good morning and welcome to Friday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. The U.S. dollar is stronger after the July GDP report, but Asian futures are mixed this morning. And the Xinhua reports that China will step up targeted macro policy control to support the economy and liquidity should be kept at an appropriate level. Well, welcome to Friday's Money for Nothing. Hong Kong and China stocks were down again yesterday and commodities continue to take a beating. We'll discuss this with our markets commentator this morning, Mandarin Capital's Nitin Dialdas. Then Steve Vickers and Associates CEO Steve Vickers joins us to discuss the risks posed to foreign business from the Chinese anti-corruption campaign. Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management is our guest host today. Good morning, Richard.
4: Good morning, Renita. Thank goodness it's Friday.
3: Uh, Thank goodness indeed. So, Richard, tell us then, since it's Friday or since it's any day, why were local stocks down yesterday? (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, uh, probably more sellers than buyers is uh, is the reason. No, I think the day before there was a, a bit of a perk up. I think we're really just looking at some uh, volatility following the big fall in China on Monday, which, of course, upset the apple card.
3: Indeed. Well, the Dow was dragged uh, lower by weaker Procter & Gamble results, but the Nasdaq gained as food giant Mondelez raised its forecast after better-than-expected earnings. The Dow Jones slipped uh, five points to 17,746. The S&P 500 was essentially flat at 2,108, while the Nasdaq rose 17 points or 0.33% to 5,128. U.S. gross domestic product expanded at an annual rate of 2.3% in the April through June period, the Commerce Department reported, slightly below the 2.5% consensus estimate. The China Securities Journal says that mainland banks are looking into their exposure into the stock market. The report did not identify any banks by name, but said that many branches have been ordered by their headquarters to check their clients' credit ratings. Richard Pine has the details.
1: One bank executive told the newspaper that the lender's headquarters launched the investigation in late June. That was at the height of a stock market rout that wiped out 30% of market value in just three weeks. Stock-backed loans are the main target of the sweep. The newspaper says getting hold of such data would make it more difficult for risky borrowers to get loans from banks. This comes at a time when Beijing has tightened its crackdown on margin financing, a type of speculative bet that has been blamed for the recent market losses. Banks have been a major source of such financing, and a stock market tumble may have put their lending at risk. The newspaper said loans backed by listed shares almost tripled to 58.4 billion yuan in May from a year ago. And it said more than 500 stock-related investment products had touched early warning lines near the end of the market route early this month.
3: The Monetary Authority's Chief Executive Norman Chan has warned of volatility in stock markets and uh, other financial markets as the U.S. draws closer to raising interest rates. He says that the normalization of interest rates will lead to changes in international money flows. Mr. Chan spoke after the Federal Reserve decided, as expected, to leave U.S. interest rates unchanged. And they've been at a record low since 2008. But the U.S. central bank said that the economy and job market have continued to strengthen, reinforcing expectations that the first rate hike will come in September or possibly December. Richard, can you explain to our listeners these changes in international monetary flows that Norman Chan is referring to?
4: Well, I'm not entirely sure what he is referring to. It's always a bit difficult. I think from Hong Kong, you tend to get a slightly different perspective. Um, I I think, the issue with uh, interest rates rising in the U.S. is it's a story that's been going on for over a year now. The Fed have continued to lose their bottle, to lose their confidence in terms of putting rates up. Um, and they've missed several windows when they could do it. And I think this is perhaps the last time that they're going to be able to do it with some ease.
3: All right. Well, the International Monetary Fund says it will not join the new bailout for Greece unless Athens reaches a deal with other European governments to ensure that it can repay its debts. Here's the BBC's Andrew Walker.
2: The IMF official didn't say it directly, but the implication of his remarks is that it's very unlikely that the agency will provide Greece with further financial assistance at the start of any new programme, although it could join at a later stage. He said the IMF can only contribute if Greece's debts are sustainable, and that requires actions by the Eurozone and Athens that he said they're not yet ready to take. The bailout plans face significant opposition in the German parliament, which is more likely to be diffused if the IMF is involved from the start.
3: Commodity markets have imploded. It isn't the first time it's happened, but uh, what's different this time around? Here's Rubini Global Economics Chairman Nuriel Rubini talking with Bloomberg's Tom Keen.
2: It's a combination of, I would say, supply and demand. Uh, there's a massive increase in supply coming from shale gas and oil. That's part of the story. But there is also significant fall in demand for oil and energy and commodity, for example, coming from the slowdown of China. So it's a combination of the two factors. And on the top of the other factors, there is also the fact that when the Fed is hiking rates, that weakens commodity, that strengthens the dollar, and that leads to a lower right. dollar price of commodities. So it's a combination of all these global tailwinds that were supporting emerging markets until 2013. China, commodity super cycle, Fed is now becoming headwinds. As okay. the Fed exits, as China slows down, as the commodity you, super cycle is over. You live, so you, you have a live combination of all plans. these things.
3: China is clearly driving the commodities route, and although the Bloomberg Commodities Index lists over 20 different commodities, the world really focuses on three, oil, gold, and copper. Now, the copper drag is directly related to China's slowdown, but what about other commodities like lead, tin, or nickel? Does China not need them as well? Here's Sok Gen's Global Head of Commodities Research, Michael Hague, talking with Bloomberg journalists on Market Makers.
1: They, they're all incredibly important. The biggest difference being is that copper is the most used by China on a percentage basis. And the other important difference is that its price is much more significantly higher than its cost of production compared to the rest of the base metals complex, where they're very similar to... And the still of. lower, and I mean, Stephanie, this is the key... The, the price to produce copper or to pull it out mm-hmm. is still less than the pr- the spot price? That's right. So the yeah. spot price is around $5,300 a ton. The consultants put out numbers around $4,500 a ton to pull it out the ground. Our estimates are actually much lower than that. More so what does more that mean? More. Well, that means that, um, you know, in typical economics, that when things are all in balance, prices should equal the marginal cost of production. So But... Well, in this particular case, prices for copper have been elevated because of the financing deals that have been going on in China. Copper is always very vulnerable to shocks. You know, even recently, you've seen power outages in Zambia, which threatened supply. Chilean uh, workers going on strike. This creates a premium in the copper price. So, what that means is that when you have very disappointing news coming out of China, copper is very, very vulnerable because it has that premium relative to its cost. So, it could drop much, much more compared to the rest of the base metals. Right. What it means is that copper, as low as it is still has room to fall from here. Unfortunately, it probably does. Now, fundamentally, it probably shouldn't because um, there are elements of the Chinese policymakers that want to support. Certain parts of the infrastructure will be supportive of copper. Copper does have outage issues right now. Um, So there's no reason why it should collapse. It could collapse. Now, copper is dragging down other commodities, too. We're seeing grain prices drop as a result of copper and oil. Why? I would think they're totally independent. They are totally independent. They have absolutely no relationship whatsoever. So what's what's happening is, for the point being, is that if you talk to the average person, and you tell them, look, commodities are selling off, oil's going down, gold's going down, copper's going down i Nobody wants to get long any commodities. You get selling pressure for reasons beyond the fundamentals. So in the case of grains, we actually expect to have disappointing yields this year. So you should buy the dips. So
0: it's just momentum
1: and trend trading. We're not seeing fundamentals. It's sentiment. It's non-fundamental impacts on some of these commodities. But that's markets. not unique to commodities. Look at look at where tech stocks trade. Look at everyone chasing the market at the end of last year. I mean, that isn't, doesn't necessarily have to do with fundamentals. It definitely isn't to do with fundamentals whatsoever. And that's the point right now, is that everything's being dragged down on sentiment and that's what creates the buying opportunities.
3: In company news, South Korean giant Samsung Electronics posted an 8% fall in the second quarter net profit on less than stellar sales of its flagship smartphone and stiff competition from cheaper Chinese rivals. Net profit for the April to June period stood at 5.75 trillion won, down from 6.25 trillion won a year ago and slightly below analyst estimates. And LinkedIn uh, forecast annual revenue that topped analysts' estimates as the professional networking website recovers from recent changes that stunted sales. Well, let's uh, bring in our first guest of this morning, Nitin Dialdas, who is the Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Nitin. Morning. Nithin, so this commodities route, I mean, we heard earlier from Michael Haig how uh, China's economy is really impacting copper, but what about these other commodities? I mean, they mentioned grain, which appears to be unrelated, but how much of a drag is China's economy on these other commodities?
5: I, I mean, I agree with the commentator that grain is completely independent from what's going on in the metals and oil and oil. Um the problem is it's an asset class. So when people trade, they trade the asset class. So they're trading commodities, and when and as the commentator said, when they start hearing that oil, gold, uh, silver, all of them are coming down, they start selling the, the asset class as a whole. At the same time, you'll have the funds that are commodity funds where people are starting to liquid, liquidate. That's going to have a drag on all, all these commodities. So it's a combination of a number of factors. It's not necessarily the fundamentals that are from China that's going to affect the grain prices, because I don't think that has much of an effect at all.
3: So is it true to say then, while we do not see an upward trend in oil prices, we cannot expect an upward trend in other commodity prices either?
5: No. No. (laughs) I mean, oil oil can trade independently. I mean, you can have one commodity that trades independently from the rest, but... At the moment, you're seeing oil prices come down. You're seeing gold prices come down. You're seeing copper prices come down. So it's becoming a basket of commodities, and that's what's affecting the the whole sector as, as a whole. If it was just independent, just oil, um, that can you know that could trade at low, and while the rest rally, that's not an issue. Um, But at the moment, because there's a sole drag on the commodity sector as a whole, it's affecting the grain prices.
4: Nitin, we're throwing up our hands in horror saying all these prices are down, but it's great
5: news, isn't it? It's great news for the economy. It's lower input costs. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I mean, you've got China that's trying to rebuild its economy. Um, It's got competition from a lot of places in Asia because wage costs are lower in places like Vietnam, India, Bangladesh, all these areas. So in order, if, if the raw material costs come down, they can try and become a little bit more competitive because maybe their margins on the raw materials come uh, a lessen as well. And therefore, you know, it becomes more competitive too. So it's, it's great for the economy. It's the only issue that people have to worry about, which is not being seen yet, but could potentially be seen going forward if, say, rates rise too quickly, is deflation. And that's something we've got to be aware of going forward. Uh, looking at uh, the commodity prices, everyone's blaming China.
4: Is it really China? Is China the only factor? China's slowdown causing this uh, no.
5: retreat? No. No. Um, obviously, the war issues, which is holding oil up to quite a high level, that's easing. You know, obviously, US has um, come to an agreement with Iran. You know, that's easing some tensions in some parts of the Middle East. Um, that br- that pr- uh, brings oil prices down because you don't have the war premium. Um, there's demand globally, which is uh, coming down as well, as people look to cleaner energies and different types of commodities. India's not having the gold demand that it had, um, so there's a factor on gold. Um, No, so it's not just China. I mean, China's an easy scapegoat, because we're seeing there's weakness in China, but it's obviously a global thing. Plus, dollar dollar rising, that has the biggest impact on commodity prices anyway. And all of this is pointing towards deflation, which you mentioned a moment ago, but isn't deflation
4: quite a good thing lower prices as long as it's
5: not sustained i mean you look at japan what went what it went through in the 90s you look at, at hong kong and china what went through 90s oh asia as a whole from 97 up to say 2003 deflation was a drag on the economies it's people don't spend in deflationary times because they all, always wait thinking things are getting cheaper so they'll wait and and buy things later and obviously you need consumer demand to pick up economies too so it's a, you know, it's a deflation for a very short term can be fine. It can, you know, people can rejoice in it. But if you have it sustained, it's not a good thing for the economy at all.
3: So, Nithin, that's an interesting point that you touched on, which is, uh, you know, about consumer demand. And so my question is, what about demand in other parts of the world, India, the ASEAN, um, you know, emerging markets? India, you said, is, you know, the demand for gold has certainly slipped. Yeah. But uh, with the cons- the rise in uh, the consumer population and, uh, You know, are we not seeing consumer demand rise in these economies as well?
5: We are. I mean, India's actually looking all right. Um, You've got other parts of Southeast Asia that is still looking uh, pretty good. Um, We're big fans of Vietnam, and you're seeing consumer spending there rise quite rapidly. Um, And that's a big population too. So that's, you know, obviously going to help with consumer demand. But... You know, uh, commodity prices, as I said, they're mainly affected also by the US dollar and that has strengthened quite a bit. So you've got to take that effect into account too.
3: So what is the difference that needs to happen to change the direction of commodity markets?
5: I think you need to have some stability in the US dollar. You need to see China stabilise. Um, I think India will start picking up demand for gold as Diwali approaches. So we're a few months away from that. Um if you start seeing the main commodities like copper, oil and gold start rallying, I think you'll start seeing a broad range rallying uh, commodities. The thing that I, I find though is we've got to look, if you look at the 80-2000 period, commodity prices were flat for 18 years. They trade. I say flat, they traded in a range, it was quite a wide range, but it was still flat essentially for 18 years. And those were bullish times for economies. And I think if we have that again, we can see a good you know, period of bullish economies going forward, and I think that's positive for sure. We just don't want it to keep declining, where then you do start inhaling the, uh, bringing in these deflationary pressures, and that will cause issues in the, in the longer term. Smart money is on interest
4: rates going up, or maybe it's a stale money, because we've been talking about it for three or four years now. What impact is that going to have on the emerging markets, Asian markets here, India, our
5: area? Um, it'll have an initial impact, obviously, because people will worry about you know, the cost of borrowing and all that. I mean, if you look at the Asian economies, they tend to follow more what's going on on the interest rates. So certainly places like, or the major economies, places like Hong Kong, Singapore, they tend to track a lot more what's going on in the US in terms of interest rates. So it could have a minor impact. But raising interest rates is actually not a negative thing. If you actually look at the cycles of the economies... During uh, rising periods, it's actually been pretty strong. It's When you get towards the top, that's when you start worrying. We're at the beginning of this cycle, so I'm, I'm not too worried of a few rate rises going forward. That's actually a pretty good sign. It means people are positive on the economy, and then we'll see where it goes from there.
3: All right, Nithin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Nitin Dialdas and he is the Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Time to take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is a down 0.19% this morning to 20,483. Australia's ASX 200 index is up 0.13% to 5,660. And, uh, Kospi is up four tenth of a percent to 2,020. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.09 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 124 yen even, and one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 10 cents and one U.S. dollar and 56 cents. And... uh, Message we have here from the Transport Department. The fast lane of the Singma Bridge airport bound near Mawan, which was closed due to a traffic accident earlier, is now reopened to all traffic. And the slow lane of the Kapsui Mun Bridge also airport bound, which was closed due to a traffic accident, is now reopened to all traffic. Well, we'll be back to talk more about the anti-corruption campaign in China and what that means for foreign investors right after this. If
5: you are an employer, remember to take out employees' compensation insurance to cover your workers and yourself. This insurance provides coverage for employees who sustain injuries while working, If you're an employer who doesn't take out this insurance, you'll be liable to a fine of up to $100,000 and two years in jail. You may also have to pay for any compensation due to your employee. For inquiries, please call the Labor Department's hotline on 2717-1771. Come on, you
3: The time is now 8.22 a.m. and the anti-corruption campaign in China has been going on for two years now. And under Xi Jinping's administration, it shows no sign of slowing down. So how is it actually getting along and what does it mean for foreign investors? Let's bring in specialist political and corporate risk consultancy, SVA's CEO, Steve Vickers. Good morning, Steve.
2: Good morning.
3: Steve, anti-corruption is a good thing, surely, and it's uh, corruption that is driving foreign investment and companies away. So why would it be a risk to foreign business, both in China and and elsewhere? Uh, Well, it's quite complicated, but
2: uh, simplistically, I would say that, uh, uh, let's say from an MNC or a a company operating in China, uh, it it has posed very considerable risks for foreign investors um, because Chinese allegations which make the newspaper can prompt, for example, mirror investigations in the U.S. under the U.S. Foreign Corrupt, uh, foreign Corrupt practices Act, the FTA, or under the U.K. Bribery Act, or under the OECD. So that, that's at its most um, immediate. Uh, and you've seen that, for example, in the case of uh, GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, uh, and others. So that, that, that's, that's the most easy to determine risk. But in fact, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit deeper. Um, clearly, this is a political campaign as well as a um, as well as an anti-corruption campaign. Uh, but it's not just a political curiosity. I mean, it really does pose risk to <clears throat> foreign investors and businesses. I mean, a good example was the Kaisow Group, um, who suddenly lost their political um, patronage and support, uh, and then within within a very short period of time, the company missed payments of 51 million. billion, and again, many foreign investors were were, 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 were caught in that. Steve? Um, Yeah, go ahead, John.
3: Now, I was going to ask, would you say that the anti-corruption campaign has become more of a witch hunt uh, rather than, you know, an action to really take out the big guys?
2: Well, I would say the campaign really serves several purposes. The the, 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 the first purpose purpose is purely political. It's aimed at neutralizing those that oppose Um, I think if you study back uh, Z's writings to the 1980s, he he has in fact
4: Steve, I've been looking at um, some of your research, you'd be pleased to know, and you've done a hotspot map of China showing where, uh, let's say, um, some of the bad guys have been banged up. Hainan is a big hotspot. Um, You've got a little area around uh, Guangdong, Guangxi. Um, But the interesting thing is Beijing is a hotspot, but Shanghai is a cold spot. Does it mean to say that people in Shanghai are better behaved? Uh,
2: Actually, probably the reverse, but... uh, I think my my map, which people can read if they want to see it, uh, basically relates on, it's looking in the rearview mirror. This relates to people who have already been arrested or prosecutions that have been announced. Um, There's a lot of pressure on on Jiang Zemin's uh, patronage network, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if if Shanghai suddenly features very highly. I mean, apart from my heat map, I also did set segments that, that are more likely to be directly affected. And from a foreign business point of view, for example... Gambling is very, very high on my list, followed by energy, oil and gas, property, education, pharmaceutical uh, and luxury goods. And actually what happened in Macau is, uh, is a direct consequence of both political...
4: It's uh, essentially political money laundering, reason. isn't it?
2: Well, I mean, essentially, despite what all the so-called analysts would have told us, uh, 41 billion US turnover, which was the official gaming number, multiplied by five or six because of the side betting rough number of 250 billion U.S. dollars rocketing through Macau. That was never sustainable. And
4: how much has has the uh, recent rise in the Chinese stock market been an influence of this? Because people seem to have quite a lot of extra cash in certain areas to put into the stock market uh, and leverage that up, too.
2: Sadly, indeed. But but I think the 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 decision was made on Macau, I think, about two years ago. I mean, China historically lives in fear of, um, of inflation. Once the situation changed, um, perhaps venting so much cash through Macau was perhaps uh, acquiesced to by the central government for a while, because it was it was helpful in anti-corruption measures, so anti-inflation measures. But clearly, that that period has long passed, and so it was obvious that evidence action was going to be taken. And the other action will be obviously many of the foreign casinos who have um, concessions there. Uh, may not necessarily be in a a positive position when these concessions are renewed following this campaign. So that's a direct, uh, I would say, direct consequence. Um, I've never seen this campaign, I think, is is, uh, uh, unprecedented in Chinese history.
0: All right, Um, Steve. Thank yeah.
3: you so much for joining us this morning. That is Steve Vickers, and he is the CEO of Steve Vickers and Associates. Well, uh, it's almost time to wrap up the show now. Richard, here we are. It's a Friday. What should we be looking at as we head into the weekend?
4: Well, I think the two key things are China and interest rates uh, in the US. Um, I'm going to make a call and say I think China's probably fairly near the bottom, let's say within 10%. If you look at the charts, you could probably see that there's a big support level there. So I think what we're probably going to go through is a period of phony war through into August um, with maybe not a lot happening. Traders are on the beach um, and the big excitement is going to start when they all start coming back.
3: You mean they're actually going to leave the beach to do that? Well,
4: they're probably still on their iPhones, but maybe looking at Facebook instead.
3: All right, Richard, do you have a fun Friday fact for us to wrap up with?
4: Well, the only, not really a fun fact, but I think it's quite interesting that the U.S. GDP figures, which I didn't think were too bad, um, it's the consumer is starting to buy again. And that's got to be a good sign because consumer buying means that business is going to start to invest.
3: All right, Richard, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And every Friday morning as guest host, Richard Harris is the CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management. Time to take another quick look at the numbers before we close the show. Uh, The Australia's ASX 200 index is up 4 tenths of a percent to 5,675 and Sol's Kospi is up 0.13 percent now to 2,021. Gold currently stands at $1,088 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $53.41. And I'm Renita Malhotrahora wrapping up for this week's edition of Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast today. We'll have sunny periods and one or two showers. It'll be hot in the afternoon. The temperature right now is 27 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is
0: 82%. And it's time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Concern groups and student unions are calling on the International Olympic Committee to reject Beijing's bid to host the 2022 Winter Olympics. Beijing and the Kazakh capital Almaty are the only two cities left in the running, and the IOC votes this afternoon in Kuala Lumpur. Yesterday, protesters led by the Chinese University Student Union rallied outside the Hong Kong Olympic Committee's headquarters at Olympic House in Causeway Bay. The group said Beijing's recent crackdown on human rights lawyers violated Olympic principles principles principles. It's a controversy that's becoming familiar in sport at the moment as this human rights campaigner explains.
3: The bad news is that increasingly it's repressive regimes with bad human rights records who want to host these mega sporting events and we have seen in the past these governments will say whatever it takes to win the right to host the games and then they're going to break the rules
0: mainland authorities say they're looking into allegations against one of the country's most senior monks. Shi yong is the abbot of Shaolin Monastery. The BBC's Jill McGivering reports. The Shaolin Temple in Henan province is famous worldwide as the birthplace of Chinese Kung Fu martial arts. Its current abbot, Shi yong has long been a controversial figure. As well as being a Buddhist monk, he holds an MBA, travels widely, and reportedly drives a luxury car. Critics say he's too commercial and has turned the ancient temple into a multi-million dollar global brand. Now his reputation faces new threats. A series of allegations posted online accuse him of embezzlement, of sex-